0: the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 4, verses 1 to 11, 1 Samuel chapter 4 And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. They encamped at Ebenezer, and the Philistines camped at Ephek. The Philistines drew up in line against Israel, and when the battle spread... Israel was defeated before the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the field of battle. And when the people came to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh and brought from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts, who was enthroned on the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. As soon as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout, so that the earth resounded. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shouting, they said, Take courage and be men, O Philistines, lest you become slaves to the Hebrews, as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated, and they fled, every man to his home. And there was a very great slaughter, for thirty thousand foot soldiers of Israel fell. And the ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. Amen.
1: Um, The second reading is coming from 1 Samuel 4, 12-22, which is um, following Sheila's reading. A man of Benjamin ran from the battle line and came to Shiloh the same day, with his clothes torn and his dirt on his head. And when he arrived, Eli was sitting on his seat by the road, watching for his, for his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told the news, all the city cried out. When Eli heard the sound of the outcry, he said, What is this uproar? And then the man hurried and came and told Eli. Now Eli was ninety-eight years old, and his eyes were set so that he could not see. And the man said to Eli, Eli. I am he who has come from the battlefield. I fled from the battle today. And he said, How did it go, my son? And he brought the news, answered, and said, Israel fled from the Philistines, and there has also been a great defeat among the people. You two sons, your two sons also, Hophni and Phineas, they are dead, and the ark of God has been captured. As soon as he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell over backward from his seat by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died, for the man was old and heavy. He had judged Israel for forty years. Now his daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, was pregnant, about to give birth, and when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured, and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed and gave birth, for her pains had come upon her.
2: Thank you, Sheila, and thank you, Margaret, for reading that passage. Before we, we come to the sermon, let us pray. Gracious Father, as we come before you this morning, we pray that the words that I speak will be the words that you have placed upon my heart, that I will speak in truth, Father. And we pray that these words will touch each person's heart, that uh, as we leave here today, knowing a bit more about your message, Father that will make us better ambassadors for your Son, Jesus Christ, within our society. Amen. Now some of you may not realise this, but uh, like many here, I was born in the last century. Doesn't that sound horrible you say I was born in the last century? Of course it makes you feel old. Well when I was a child in the early 1950s, uh, our local doctor, the one and only doctor in the the village, He was playing golf during a thunderstorm, and of course he was hit by lightning, and suffered severe injuries. And I, like many of the other children in the village, suddenly became scared of lightning. And uh, my father heard that there was going to be an electrical storm. Now, where we lived was in a a small uh, ferry terminal in the west coast of Scotland, the River Clyde so he heard that there was going to be an electrical storm so he decided that he would take the family on an outing across the ferry to one of the near islands one of the islands of Cymru and of course by the time it came time to come back after having a, a, a day on the beach playing with the sand and not a care in the world for a couple of young kids we came back to the ferry just as the lightning was striking And my father being a wiser person than I am and never will well be took us up onto the observation deck which was enclosed in the top of the ferry and my brother and I stood there beside him, my young brother was young, he was up in his arms and we were counting the seconds between the flash and the thunder and he said look there's absolutely nothing to be frightened of but the doctor he got hit by lightning but the doctor was in the wrong place at the wrong time he said more or less and that was part of God's plan was his final words don't be afraid if God doesn't plan you to be hit by lightning you won't be hit by lightning so i was just thinking about that in in context with the ancient israelites you know the ancient israelites lived in fear and ignorant superstition because they regarded this gilded box that sat in an area they couldn't even see as the seat where God was resting on the cherubim, if you remember. The ch- this chapter is the beginning of a series of severe trials and tribulations that befell the people of Israel during this time of Samuel. My father and he taught my brother and I quite a gentle message about lightning. But the ultimate father in heaven had something a bit more severe to say to the people who had neglected to worship him or turned their backs on him and even turned. To other pagan religions, this passage, the Book of Samuel, is regarded as one of the prophetic books of the Old Testament. The Jews regarded the Old Testament as being divided into two parts. The first five books contained the books of law and the prophetic books, which were the the prophets Isaiah and so on. Samuel, at first sight, seems to first Samuel at first sight seems to be a book of historic events, doesn't it? during the time of the prophet Samuel, but it's much more than a historical novel. And it is a way, a book that records particular events during the time of prophet Samuel, but it also teaches us about the relationship between God and those ancient Jews. Now why is it that some Christian groups will say there's no need to read the Old Testament because it's Jesus who left us all his teachings the prophetic books are equally as important. The God's message, as to the ancient Jews as it is to us today. We have to approach these books with a different mindset, as you would approach if you read one of Andrew uh, Patterson's writings with the writings of Martin Luther King. Each have a different writing method with a different message for you and I read verse 1. The word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. They were camped at Ebenezer, and the Philistines were encamped at Ephek. Israel was about to confront the fact that had not obeyed God's command to drive out the inhabitants who lived in the surrounding areas. When God gave them the lands of Israel, they were told to drive out the pagans whose land they had taken over. Instead, they made alliances with them, with some of these nations. Even to the point, many of the Jewish people were turning away from the Lord God and accepting the idols of the false gods. It was now time for God to act against Israel. One of the previously defeated nations was the Philistine nation, which was located along the Mediterranean Sea, and it was also one of Israel's largest neighbours who rose up against the Israeli oppressors. And we carry on with this, uh, verses 2 following. The Philistines drew up a line against Israel, and when the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men in the battlefield. What a gory affair. And when the people came to the camp, the elder said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Then it's me the ark of the covenant to the Lord, here from Shiloh, that it may come among us, and save us from the power of the enemies. You know, for a people who ignored their God, the elders instead of looking at their own shortcomings and their own lack of faith, decided that they were going to blame God for their defeat. What you would call nowadays blame transfers, like a naughty child says, It's not my fault, it's his. They knew that God had blessed their people for centuries and had brought their father Abram into the promised land, even in the face of danger and difficulty. This same God brought their nation out of bondage of slavery in Egypt, once again to the land of the fathers. God had led them through countless victories when they had crossed over the Jordan, causing them to defeat the peoples of these lands therefore it must be his fault of this defeat against the philistines so how can we find favor in them someone must have remembered that most of their victories is for example the, the defeat of the city of jericho that the ark had gone before them and battles had been won my friends they were treating their god like some who would treat a good luck talisman And taking the ark into battle would bring them good luck they ignored the fact they were made to serve the lord and not the other way around if you do not serve him with open hearts then god is free to ignore uh, them and as he ignored them he should be able to ignore us and our request in times of need excuse me we modern christians can at times mimic the ancient jews by questioning God after prayers have been offered for something that we desire for healing asking for somebody to heal the sick relative or child even here in church how often do we have prayers offered up which ends with uh, such words when we pray we don't say Lord not our will but yours be be done one source uh, I came upon said it is normal to ask, why didn't God heal a loved one? It is understandable for one to feel this way, but it poses the question that we approach this subject with completely the wrong thing thinking. Do we think that when we pray to God the Father that he is under some obligation to answer our desires and just help us because we seek his help? Now, I remember one of Helen's colleagues when we were Working, uh, asking her to pray for her mother's health after a heart attack, as if the prayers offer, uh, offered by a Christian would help when she had absolutely no faith. She also asked uh, Helen another time if she would pray for the Lord to help her to give up smoking. It's a funny thing to ask somebody, isn't it? Could you ask the Lord to stop me smoking? Strange, strange, strange. But who are we, mere human beings, to place conditions or obligations on the Lord, our Creator, as a reason for our prayers? It is like saying that the tail wags the dog, isn't it? We're forgetting that God is in control, and it's not you and I that are in control. That is not our relationship, nor the relationship of these ancient Jews with the Father was meant to be. But that is the position that the ancient Israelites were trying to exert in their God. Such was the nature of their breakdown and the relationship with God the Father. So we read on from verse four: They sent to Shiloh and brought from there the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned on the cherubim, and the two sons of Eli, Hoph- Hophni and Phineas, were, were there with the ark of the covenant. As soon as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout so that the earth resounded. Now remember, the Ark in actual fact was just a wooden box. It was reported to be one metre in length, overlaid with gold plate. The wood was carved before it had been overlaid with the gold. and was really just a wooden box, wasn't it? It contained the tablets of the Lord's Commandments, remembering of course that the originals had been destroyed when Moses hurled them at the golden calf that his brother Aaron had made while Moses was up in Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments to you and I it might seem a bit problematic that they thought that the Lord rested upon the top of a wooden box the Israelites placed their Lord in a box because it was so much easier if he was hidden from the eyes inside a box, it was easier to ignore him and his commandments. But the leaders thought it would help their chances of beating the Philistines if they brought the lucky rabbit's foot in the shape of a box out to parade before them in front of their enemies and that they would have the victory in their hands. We cannot be certain, but perhaps the Israeli leaders or even the priests may have thought that bringing the Ark of the Covenant into battle, that God would be, not be able to resist protecting his chosen race. They did all this without repenting their own sins, or confessing them. Instead, they, they said that God would or thought that God would manipulate, they could manipulate God into defeating the Philistines. Excuse me, I need a sip of water. In verses 6 to 8, the Philistines were afraid because the ark had come into the battlefield. This was because God, who had struck down the mighty nations of Egypt, had saved the, and saved the Israelites from bondage. In verses 10 and 11, the leaders sent the ark into the battle. With it went Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phineas, who had blasphemed against the Lord. The magic talisman, my friends, did not work in this case because of the unrepentant Israelites and these two men, sons of Eli, who should never have been given the task of carrying this holy box. As the Lord had declared that he would punish the house of Eli when the ark was captured by the Philistines, both Hophni and Phineas perished. The Philistines carried the ark of the, the Lord away into captivity and they did so without harm or injury to those carrying the ark. The very fact that these Philistines were able to carry the ark poses to me a couple of questions. Why is it when God decreed that only the sons of Korah could carry the ark and also the tent of meeting the holy things? That's uh, if you want to check up in this Numbers chapter 4 verses 2 to 4 and again verse 15. And when Aaron and his sons were finished covering the sanctuary all the furnishings as the camp set out, after that the sons of Korath would come and carry these things, but they must not touch the holy things lest they die. These were the things of the tent of meeting that the sons of Korah had to carry. We also see the penalty of touching the ark in Second Samuel chapter 6 verse 3 and also verses 67. When the But Uzzah and eh, ah, Ayo were transporting the ark from King David's headquarters in Kiriath, the German, eh, to Jerusalem by the cart. They had almost reached their destination and the ark began to slide. Uzzah tried to prevent it falling and touched the ark against God's commands, albeit in error, but the Lord struck him down. So why did the Lord permit these non-believing Philistines to carry away the ark without injury and without even death? My friends, God had a plan for the Philistines and it follows in the chapter 5, which we'll not cover today, we may cover at a later date. Because it was all part of God's plan, not only for Israel, but for the Philistines. God's plan was to punish the Philistines and the house of Eli. If we read through verses 12 to 18 about God's judgment on the people, which which was read uh, a few minutes ago, a man of Benjamin ran from the battle line and came to Shiloh the same day with his clothes torn and with dirt on his head. When he arrived, Eli was sitting on his seat by the road watching, for his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told the news all the city, cried out. When Eli heard the sound of the outcry, he said, What is this uproar? And the man hurried and came before Eli. Now Eli was ninety-eight years old, and his eyes were set so that he could not see. And the man said to Eli, I am he who has come from the battle. I fled from the battle today. And he said, How did it go, my son? And he who brought the news said, Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there has been a great defeat among the people. Your two sons also, Hophni and Phineas, are dead, and the ark of the Lord has been captured. As soon as he mentioned the ark of the Lord, Eli fell over backward from the honey seat and fell by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died, for the man was old and heavy. And he had judged Israel for 40 years. One can imagine the the lives of those people left behind when there was a battle. The wives, the elderly, the children waiting to hear the news of battle, worrying about their loved ones on the battlefield. And Eli being blind and elderly, even older than the oldest member of this congregation, and we're all going pretty well at the moment, aren't we? Such was the volume of crying and shouting that Eli could not make head nor tail of what was happening and asked about the outroar. And of course we heard the message, the messenger told him that he told him about the defeat of the Israelite army, that Eli's sons had been slain and the Ark of the Covenant had been captured. God's message through this servant, his servant Samuel, was fulfilled when Eli fell off his seat, broke his neck after being a judge in Israel for over forty years. In the last few verses of this chapter, we read about Eli's daughter-in-law giving birth and naming the boy Ichabod. This was because the Lord had left Israel and the ark was now in the hands of the Philistines. This, friend, this chapter, my friend, is about the punishment of Israel that it had received from the hands of God through the Philistines acting in his behalf. Now just how does it relate to the church today? What has gone wrong with the church today? You may ask. When the Israelites thought they'd kept God in a safe place in a box, while he was there, they could forget to worship him. They uh, they lost their heart because they turned their backs on the Lord and became became influenced by the pagan neighbors. So many so-called Christians today have kept the Lord locked away, on a bookshelf or inside a box. They keep their Bible locked up, Sunday to Sunday. It's just like keeping God in a box, isn't it? If you can't read the Bible day by day, if you keep it locked away for a Sunday, then you're not paying true homage to the Lord. In fact, some even only come to church on occasional Sundays, because they've joined the secular world outside. Let Israelites have become enamoured by the influence of the ungodly society in which we and they live. As a nation, we have devalued the Lord's Day with sports, events, open shops and other diversions from our calling to offer up our praises to the Lord and Master. Yet the Israelites, we are like the Israelites, we are prepared to speak of the Lord, seeking him out, getting him out of the box when trouble occurs. Dr. Mart Lloyd Jones sums this up. We should never lose sight of the fact that God does not change in his dealings with the people or in his word. Nothing changes with the Lord. When the church has had been at its most impactful in the world, it's when they've overcome, they have become overcome with a sense of the God's glorious presence. We should never lose sight of our awe and wonder at the glory of our Lord and Creator. He who sent his Son Jesus Christ to open up that box when Jesus died on the cross. If you remember, the area was closed off to the people, the inner sanctum, the curtain was torn and true to allow you and I access direct to our God, our Creator, our Master. He who sent his son Jesus Christ also taught us to seek out the Lord, giving him our everlasting gratitude, that he should care so much for you and I by sending his only son Jesus Christ. He didn't only send us to bring us a message, he sent Jesus Christ to save each one of us, save us from our sins by paying the ultimate sacrifice of his blood Shed on that cross for you and I. His son Jesus also taught us that through himself we have the opportunity to serve the Lord in our actions and also praise the Lord through Jesus Christ, our high priest and king. My friends, we should never devour the Lord. Never put him in a box. You know, if you even have an open Bible sit on your table, It gives you the opportunity to stop and look and read and learn and open up your heart to the Lord. The whole point of this is the Israelites get Lord in a box. You remember that uh, the daughter-in-law, when the boy, the, the boy child was born, named him Ichabod because God has deserted the people of Israel and gone over to the Philistines in their eyes. Have you let God desert you? Or have you deserted God? You have every opportunity that Lord presents you day by day when you're waking up in the morning. I remember, I've told this story before, an old friend Jack. Now, he was called old Jack when I was in my 40s. He was probably younger than I am now. And old Jack used to say in the morning, he woke up, and he said, how are you going, Jack? And he said, I woke up this morning, I said, he said, thank you, Lord, you've given me another day. And he woke, he, he said, I slid my feet over the side of the bed and I stood up and I said, thank you, Lord. You've given me freedom to worship you today. And as he went to bed at night, he thanked the Lord for giving him another day for he could serve the Lord. That is a tremendous message that old Jack had. I want you to take that to heart because we should be worshiping the Lord every day, morning, noon and night. Follow Jack's example, talk to the Lord daily. You know, we've got a high priest who's sitting beside the Father. Talk to him through him. Jesus Christ, who fulfills the position of king and high priest. Talk to Jesus Christ day by day. And that's the message. Don't be to these ancient Israelites who gave away the worship of the Father, who turned instead to the false gods. We are false gods today. The false gods of money and possessions. The false gods of sport. False gods of even family. Family is important. Don't get me uh, wrong about that. But sometimes we we make our family the whole being when we should remember that the head of the family is the Father in heaven. So my friends, as I close this message today, don't keep God, God in a box. Keep him in your heart. Keep him ever present with you. Talk to him and tell him that you love him. Let us pray. Father God, we pray that we who do not have the opportunity that Eli's daughter-in-law to say that God has deserted us. You would never desert us, Father. It's only we who desert you. So, Father, we pray you'll bring us back into the fold, that each one of us here, as we sometimes step away from you, Father, will return into the fold and to confess our sins through your Son, Jesus Christ. Be with us as, as we go through this life, Father. We face many temptations, many things that would divert you, us from worshipping you, Father. So be with us, give us the strength that we need to uphold our faith and to be true, as I mentioned before, ambassadors for Christ within our society. Let us share that, Father, not keep God in a box. Share Him with all these people we meet, friends, family and associates. Amen.